Welcome to Leading to Sales. My name is Brett Williams. I am your host and we are at another Monday edition of Leading to Sales today. And I am extremely excited because the topics that we're going to cover with our special guest today, Andy Paul, are going to revolutionize your sales processes and your sales mindset, frankly, by taking you back to the basics. Um, so to give you just a quick insight, if you don't know who Andy Paul is, um, firstly, I'm not sure if you're living under a rock, but Andy is the host of the sales enablement podcast. Um, he is, they are approaching almost a thousand episodes. You want to talk about some goals there. Um, but he has authored two award-winning sales books. He's ranked number eight on LinkedIn's list of top 50 global sales experts. I mean, hello. And he is, he has, uh, he is producing the amazing sales enablement podcast, three episodes a week. And if you've ever done a podcast before, you know, that's something that takes some amazing work. So we're going to be right back right after this with Andy Paul. And I look forward to you, to you hearing from him. Welcome to the leading to sales podcast. Every week we're bringing you leadership, sales and marketing strategies to help you move your business forward. Here's our host, internationally known sales and marketing leader, Brett Williams. Hey, Andy, welcome to the show. Brett, thanks for having me. I'm charged up after that uh, video montage at the beginning there. That's great. <laughs> awesome. I like to get the upbeat music going <laughs> so we right. can be like all excited and ready to roll. I am um, ready. Yeah. So, no, thank you so much for coming on. It, it truly is an honor to have somebody um, like you and you specifically on the show. Um, I mean, it, the fact alone that you have built sales enablement to the level that you have, the sales enablement podcast and um, I didn't even realize this until just earlier today, but you're already approaching the thousand show mark. Yes, yes. By the end of the year, we'll be at a thousand. That's just so incredible. I'm, I'm so excited <laughs> about that. But if you don't mind, um, sure. for those who have been living under a rock and don't know who you are, <laughs> introduce yourself. Introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us just a little bit about about your background and how you ended up in the sales enablement game. <sighs> sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a sales guy. I mean, that's my career started as a sales guy and selling computer systems to on-premise computer systems for small, mid-sized businesses ages and ages ago. And uh, sort of then did sort of the Silicon Valley thing, lots of startups, um, spent a long time in the satellite communications business, uh, selling very large communication systems to companies around the world. And uh, after sort of that, final startup. I think I've been like startup number six or seven. I started my own company and really with the goal of doing what I've been doing for these variety of startups where I was a sales leader, but oftentimes first person in the door, which is, all right, when you have no brand name and no track record and you're selling large, complex, very expensive stuff, how do you go compete against the big guys and win business? And that had become sort of my specialty. So yeah. start a company to teach, uh, other companies, small companies in particular, how to do that. Did that for about 10, 11 years. And then through a variety of circumstances, ended up moving from California to New York and thought, well, maybe I'll start a new chapter. Uh, what could I do now? That's when I got the inspiration to write my first book. Uh, that led to a second book, led to the podcast. And here I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. So that's, and the pro the podcast is really a lot of your primary focus nowadays, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah. So the podcast was acquired. My, I started the podcast in 2015. It was acquired a year ago by Ring DNA, And 
So yeah, that's sort of become the primary focus um, for what we're doing. We still do some things on the side, some coaching, high-level coaching of individuals and, and the like. But uh, yeah, for the moment. So I would I would love to kind of you know to pick your brain a little bit on the sure. um, on the sales piece of what you're talking about. Basically, taking for lack of a better term, a no name company, mm -hmm. um, and that there are you know whatever you want to call it, a no name company, and breaking into that large scale B two B enterprise level sales. Um, and I'm sure some of that has changed a little bit, and some of it is staying a lot of the same. What have you seen have been some of the biggest differentiators to we between the, the companies that could actually break into that and the companies that just, if you will, just beat their head against the wall? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, it, in my mind, it was always about the people, right? Okay. It was much more than the product and, and what we were selling is really about the people. So to be able to break into a big company and convince them, oftentimes convince them to buy something that they themselves made, right? So one example is, uh, big communications company, everybody knows, uh, they were looking to move into a new market. They were already making a product similar to type we made or we could make for them. But in fact, they had more engineers in their entire company than we had employees in our company. Uh, wow. Then their engineers are devoted to, to building products of this type. But we made the connection with the right people. Sort of this real elemental human level. We, we were very open and sincere about what it is they were trying to accomplish, what was most important to them, and how could we help them get it. And over the course of, of let's say, six months, roughly, we built this level of trust with the executives at the C-level of this company, where they trusted the fact that we, a small company 3,000 miles away, could execute better on their vision of what they wanted to accomplish than their internal people. And it was all based on the people, because we, we were going to, custom build this product. We didn't have a product. We were going to custom build it and develop <laughs> it for them. And that really illustrates how you get in. I, in my belief is how you get into companies is, is yes, at some point you have to ask the right questions, right? You have to, yeah. and you know, people say, well, what's the right question? Well, I think again, I simplify and, and boil down to it. it's your job is find out what's most important to them and how you can help them get it. Yeah. And your question should be oriented around that is yeah. it could be questions that challenge them to think differently about what they're doing, what they've done in the past, think differently about what they could do in the future. And that's, that's really the point of questions, right? This is, is yeah. if you ask the right questions, you're not asking these questions to gather information. You're asking questions to force people to think. If that's uh, <laughs> if there's a one liner, I want to make sure comes out of this one. That's it. <laughs> Well, and I, but that this is this is a problem in, in sales has always been a problem in sales. It's not a new problem in sales. I think it's accentuated to some degree today because we tend to be a little more scripted. Sellers tend yeah. to be a little more scripted. Is they're looking at their discovery motion as us gathering information about how does this prospect fit with what we sell, and you know, there's limited limited value in that, quite frankly. It's because really what right. you want to do is you want to understand, again, what's most important to them and how you can help them get that. And part of understanding them, sort of understanding what or being able to express to you what's most important to them is, yeah, they maybe need to think about it, right? They may have really not yeah. thought about it in those terms, in terms of, you know, wow, we could do that. Well, hey, that we might reprioritize 
that in terms of what we're gonna try to accomplish with this investment. So yeah, if you get out of that sort of mode of saying, look, discovery is just a information gathering stage and think about it more as it's really a stage where I force the customer to think more yeah. broadly and deeply about the problems they have and how they want to solve them. It puts you in a better position to move yeah. forward with them. I love that. Cause one of the things that I know that I've always been taught is, and it's so funny because I think that you may even be able to shed some more light on this than I've ever even thought about, but I've always been taught, um, about if you can get the, if you're in a discovery conversation or in any type of sales mm -hmm. meeting and you can get the customer to say, Hmm, I've never thought about it like that before, then you're making good progress. Well, um, Sure. I mean, I think that's a, that's a, a good sign, right? Uh, in the general <laughs> yeah. scheme of things, but it means you're having a conversation as opposed right. to just an interrogation. And that's, you know, too often we default in sales to a sort of an interrogation mode with customers because yeah, we've got a list of questions we typically ask and we want to get answers to those. Yeah. But you know, there's a huge difference between having information and really understanding. And this is the wow. gap that exists for, for, I think for most sellers is in the way that we're trained and the processes we, you know, insist that people use is here's a discovery stage. This is information gathering. And the point of discovery, which first of all, is not a single stage. I mean, discovery happens every time you interact with a prospect, you should be deepening your understanding of what they're doing, but it's, yeah, it's not about information gathering. It's about understanding, yeah. right? I can't, I can't help you if I don't really understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and what's most important to you. And so we have this like understanding gap that exists for most sellers is, yeah, I, I know these facts about this buyer. Yeah. Okay, what do you really understand about them? So when we're thinking about it from a leadership perspective and, and, you know, we're growing teams and, and, you know, there are 5,000 different sales training methodologies At and <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do we make sure that we're training our teams in the right way to facilitate these conversations and not make it some sort of, okay, hey, here's your questionnaire that you've got to make sure you right. have this data on? Right. Well, so this gets back to sort of fundamentals. And I think there's four fundamentals. And this is a glean from my experience personally as somebody that was working in deeply complex technical fields and was not a technical person, right? I mean, I smart enough, I can figure it out at a layperson's level, but we were selling also at a deep technical level. Right. Is how did I, how did I get in the door with those people? And, you know, how do you have conversations? How do you move deals forward? And, and I think it really boils down to four things and really only four things. It's your ability to connect. I summarize, I call it connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity. And generosity being the value and the vision that you provide and give to your your buyer to enable them to to make their choices and decisions so we need to be able to connect with someone this basic human level this is the you know the door to credibility and trust that we yeah. build we need to have that too many you know there's a number of, of people a cohort of people of you know sort of trying to downplay these days the importance of this connection relationship and they're just they're wrong, right? It's it's yeah. it needs to exist. It's it's you're not going to get a decision without it. Uh, you have to be curious, but you know the curiosity I said is really not just to satisfy your own curiosity, but also the curiosity to help trigger the yeah. thoughts on the part of the customer. You need to as I said it, it transcend this this gap that exists between knowing and understanding. Yeah, and so we really need to focus on 
listening and making sure we truly understand what the buyer is trying to trying to accomplish again what's most important to them and then you need to be able to give value and vision right i think at the end of the day what do people buy is and this is a missing piece for so many sellers is they don't provide a vision of what success looks like and there's all this emphasis on storytelling these days and sales and in business in general but you think about it, what's the one story the customer really wants to hear the customer wants to hear what their story of what success is going to look like. Yeah. And so you need to be able to build the story through the process of selling to them, sort of layer by layer is create this vision of that they can visualize as, gosh, when, when we've got the system implemented, this is what it's going to be doing for us. And yeah, yeah there's multiple steps to that. One of which is you got to quantify all that. So you make the vision real, but Providing this story to the buyer, this vision of success is, and it's been shown through studies that people have done, like Forrester in particular, is that if you're the seller that can provide this vision of success to the buyer, your odds of winning the deal will go up substantially. And you get like a 65% chance of winning the deal, I think they said, if you're the, the seller whose vision the buyer buys. Right. Well, there's a way to do that. I mean, the way to, the way to make that happen more often is, is be first to present this vision. Well, how do you be first as well? You got to make sure you're doing the right discovery that you're the first to understand. I, and I really think that's a benchmark that sellers don't focus on is you want to be the first to understand because you're the first to understand, then you can create a vision for the buyer that's based not on assumptions, but based on their reality. And that's, again, a gap that too often exists in sales. You wonder why you didn't close the deal or you're proposing a solution that really wasn't based on true understanding of the buyer and what their needs were. Yeah. It's it's that old uh, Covey mindset of seek first to understand and then to be understood. Well, absolutely. And and again, we if you think about it in sales too often, we operate on this level of assumption. We're really good at it these days. Look, we're going to create a persona around somebody, two or three buyers within your ICP. And sellers take those personas and think, oh, why well, know what this person's really interested in, right? And we assume, based on this data we collect in discovery, that now we, uh, now we know, now we understand, and we don't understand. And understanding requires lots of follow-up questions, requires diving deep, requires little bit of you know confirmation on the part of the buyer that that you're on the right track um and then digging even deeper again and that's why i think we really need to move away from sort of these stage-based sales processes that that again they're not new yeah but they're not helping any more than they helped <laughs> or, or any more than they helped you know, decades ago, yeah, because uh, it's all about us, right? It's a seller, and why don't we start looking at things more from the perspective of the buyer? Yes, the, the buyer doesn't have a, you know, what they would call a discovery stage or a qualification stage. They're they are discovering things about their sellers. They are qualifying their sellers, but their stages look much different. And so, shouldn't we, as sellers, try to sort of measure progress based on the stages the buyer looks at? 
you know, so I'm thinking about this from a marketing perspective because, you know, I'm guilty as one. Um, and um, one of the things, because I, I want to kind of bounce this off of you. Sure. Um, and, and everybody who's listening in, you're just getting the benefit of me bouncing this off of Andy's expertise. <laughs> so see if you can apply it. But one of the ways that we really, that we focus in on marketing from a macro level mm-hmm. is taking a different mindset approach when we're dealing with that persona mindset and things like that. And what we, the way we position it is we say, we want to invite our potential clients to join a story where they are the hero and we are the guide and we being, mm-hmm. you know, potentially our clients. And I always paint this picture of, um, you know, the quintessential Star Wars, original Star Wars movies of our clients are the Luke Skywalkers and they are the ones who we want to position as victorious. We are we are to position ourselves as the Yoda um, or just the guide to get them to their goals. Um, yeah. where, but I think oftentimes what the I guess you could say what the dichotomy of that is, is the idea of we as the sellers or whoever they are. Uh, whoever we are, are coming in as the hero to save the day for these people. And most of the time they don't want another hero. They want to be the hero. Well, yeah, for sure. I'll break it down. Yeah. More. Yeah. Please do. (laughs) Succinctly maybe is yeah. My mind, and this is, I'm sure not everybody agrees, but oh, well (laughs) is that there's a difference between, and this is served to the point you were talking about. Is there a difference between, persuasion and influence. And so we train people to be persuaders mm-hmm. in sales, right? Your job is to persuade the buyer to buy what you're selling. Now that presumes that there's only one answer to the question, what's the best solution to our problem? And of course that's not the case, right? Right, right. So to your point about Yoda as sort of a guide or an advisor, you really want to think about is how do I influence the choices and trade-offs the buyers make so they arrive at this decision to buy our product. Now, part of the, part of the issue is that we fundamentally must understand, for the most part in sales, how decisions get made. And again, this is a topic lots of people have different points of view on and opinions, but this is something I discovered in my career. And then, gosh, 15 years later, I read a book that was written to said, oh, so that was what's happening, right? That. So the easiest way to think about it is that when your customer set out to make a decision, they really have two decisions they have to make. Okay. The first decision is, how are we going to solve our problem? The second decision is, who are we going to solve it with? And we train sellers to focus on the who question. And so they're trying to sell before they understand. How can you sell before you understand? Yeah. Well, we do it because we assume, since we're in persuasion mode, that there's only one answer to the question and we're it. And it's just not the case. Yeah, when you think about it, when the customer's in this mode of trying to decide how to solve our problem, first of all, they need to really sort of understand what the problem is. Right? So that's part of your role as a seller is to come in and ask the questions that will help the customer think and understand you know, the scope and breadth of the problem they're trying to solve, as well as the scope and breadth of the opportunity that exists in terms of a positive business outcome. That's a battle of ideas. That's not a battle of products. 
So you got your customers are dealing in, in idea mode and you're sitting there saying, well, buy my product, buy my product, buy my product. And there's a disconnect there. Yeah. And so what I discovered, and again, in my throne experience is that <laughs> I reached this point, I was selling satellite communication systems worth millions, sometimes tens of millions of dollars. But there was, I discovered so early on, there was this point where I sort of walked out of me saying, oh, I'm going to win this deal. I just knew I was going to win this deal. And part of that was based on the conversations with the buyer about as they started sort of consolidating around a specification that yeah. was going to be their solution. That's basically they're answering the how question. Well, hey, I had heavily influenced that. And this is not un, you know, dissimilar to chip companies and component companies that get design ins, right? They try to get their product designed into a larger system yeah. or a subsystem designed into a larger system. Well, that's really what you're trying to do, right? Yeah. You're, you need to think about your product as part, because it is, as part of an overall solution, right? If you're selling right. a sales technology tool, you're not the end game. You're just part of an overall sales process, a revenue process. Right. How do you how do you get designed into that? And you need to approach it from that perspective, not from this is mm -hmm. what we do. Here's the benefits. Buy it. Press hard. There's three <laughs> copies, right? Um <laughs> But that's that's the way we fundamentally train sellers. And that's not what buyers need. Right. Buyers need sellers to be what I call curious, open-minded problem solvers. I love that. Because we're assuming that the buyer, this is the fundamentally flawed assumption that sellers have. They come into a sales process assuming that the buyer knows what they need, that the buyer understands the depth and I said the scope and breadth of the problem they're trying to solve that they understand what's most important to them. Oftentimes they don't. Most times they don't. That's that's your role as a seller to help them with that. Yeah. Because if if they know that, what do they need you for? So tell me that because this is this is a um, I guess you could say a and I don't want to say it as an example. This is a, a mindset that I see is becoming more and more prevalent across sales. Um, of, you know, we're no longer dealing with ignorant buyers. We're only, we're the, the buy 99% of the buyers you deal with are educated. They've spent yeah. all of this time in the buying cycle. They've, they're coming to you with a list of questions about your product. And like, I hear this consistently across sure. so many quote unquote gurus. Right. Um, how would you position that? Do you think that's actually a reality or, or do you think that that's just this false pretense that we have because of this these mounds of unrelated data no i think certainly buyers are out there looking at what's online of course you will uh yeah, yeah we could have long arguments you know, various camps talk about at what stage the buyers do that whether it's before they talk to a seller after blah 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 which none of it matters at, at all the point is that buyers reach a stage where they need to talk to a salesperson yeah that's why they are talking to you and yeah, I, I always get a kick out of data that comes out like there's one six, seven months ago research. Oh my gosh, more than ever, buyers don't want to talk to salespeople. And I'm thinking, <laughs> huh, buyers have never, ever wanted to talk to a salesperson. You can go back thousands of years, no one's ever wanted <laughs> exactly. to talk to a salesperson, right? Yeah. Never. So that's not new, but they talk to you when they need to. 
yeah. when they have to, when there's something they don't understand, when they want greater insight into what they're trying to do. They're trying to take advantage of your experience or when there's risk involved, right? If you're a yeah. decision maker or one of a group of decision makers and you've got to pull the trigger on a fairly big decision, you're going to minimize the risk on that as much as you can because there's risk to you. So how do you do that? You talk to more people. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> customers talk to sellers because they they need to. Yeah. And so you just need to understand that's the case. So what do they need? Yeah, I think they need more insight about that problem they're trying to solve. You can assume, you can take this the position that they understand it. I never do. Yeah. And to me, that's a competitive advantage because then that gives me a chance to provide some value and, and demonstrate some acumen and build some trust and credibility to differentiate my offering from somebody else's. So let's get tactical on this just a little bit. When I think sure. about, um, I kind of go old school a little bit when I come, when I think about those soft skills and things like that. Um, you know, I go back to the old Augmandinos, the old, um, you know, Dale Carnegie's and the Frank mm -hmm. Betgers and those. Mm -hmm. um, so when I'm thinking about this, when I'm thinking about approaching this from a leadership perspective, do you think that's the direction that we should really be honing in on training those soft skills and those, uh, what I would call the professional sales skills of being able to truly facilitate those deep, and I, given what you've just said, I almost hate mm -hmm. to use this word, those deep discoveries. <laughs> or those really it's it's that forming of a relationship is really what we're talking about right well i call it a connection right it's it is a relationship but people get so sensitive about the word these days it's just called right. a connection to to ease their pain um yeah I, I, I don't call them soft skills i call them power skills but because i think that's really what they are i like yeah, that. i think at the end of the day as a seller that connection, curiosity, understanding, and what I call generosity, it's really all you need. And yeah, you develop product knowledge and so on. But if you lead with these four, I call them pillars, then you differentiate yourself from, is it a mindset? No, not really a mindset. I mean, but it, it sort of is. But you differentiate right. yourself from the people who are purely sort of the persuasion-driven sellers. Right. And I'd like to say, you know, there's a reason Dale Carnegie called his book how to win friends and influence people. He didn't call it how to win friends and persuade people. <laughs> and, and that wasn't accidental. And that's really the motion right. we need to think about is how do we influence the choices and the trade-offs and the decisions customers make as yeah. opposed to thinking, look, yeah, to me, the difference between the two is, yeah, persuasion is you're selling drills, influence you're selling holes. Right. And we still train people to sell drills and, and it's counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. There was a book that was published last year by a gentleman named Jonah Berger, a professor from Wharton, about persuasion and influence. And he cites research and the sum of it is basically is that everybody in the world, almost universally, resists being persuaded. He calls it persuasion reactants. And so of course, it stands to reason that in the U.S. we spend $20 billion a year in sales training, basically training people in the one behavior customers universally hate. Wow. So think think about that. <laughs> that think about it. that's That's our business, right? <laughs> we train people to go out and be persuasive, yeah, sort of bull ahead, and yet our customers universally hate it. It doesn't have to be that way. 
Yeah. You can take a different approach. And it's an approach that I sort of fell into because that's I couldn't sell the other way. You know, I went through my yeah. first sales training class decades ago. I walked out of there saying, I can't be that person, right? Yeah. I'd love to be in sales, but I have to be like that. It's gonna be a very short career. Yeah. And so I determined, look, there has to be a better way. It has to be a better way that that, at least for me, was a better way. And it turned out actually be a better way. Yeah. Um the dealing with prospects that isn't soft is hard, but it's, it's more value added and it's more aligned with helping the customer answer the questions they want to answer. So if, for people listening, if you think about it, what's your job as a seller? We'll just summarize it. Your job as a seller, find out what's most important to your buyer, right? Make sure you understand what's most important to your buyer and then help them get that. That's what yeah. we do. And so we, to do that, we have to ask great questions. We've got to listen very carefully. We've got to listen slowly. We've got to make sure we understand. But we have to have that connection with them because the ability to ask those probing questions is really based on having developed trust with the buyer, right? They're in a no yeah. obligation. If you don't have no trust with the buyer, if there's no trust and you ask these probing questions, what are the odds of getting a, the answer you need? Yeah. Not as good as if you have got that trust and credibility built up. So it's just these simple fundamentals that help you do that. And then you think about what's the buyer trying to do from their side. What the buyer's trying to do from their side, if you want to sum it up, they're trying to quickly gather information and make sense of this information. So quickly gather and make sense of information to make a good decision with the least investment of time and attention and resources. Yeah. So take these two and pair it together. That's this is this is so, this is sales. <laughs> it's no more complex than that. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's certain things that add complexity to it, but at heart, it's no more complex than that. Your job is to find out what's most important to buyer, help them get it. The buyer's job is, we're, look, we're trying to quickly gather information and make sense of it and understand it in yeah. order to make a good decision. Not trying to make the best decision, they're trying to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and attention and resources. And when you make it more complex than that and you lose sight of these things, it, yeah, it makes sales much harder than it needs to be. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, you know, as we're starting to close out here, maybe mm. you can make some recommendations of some resources, including your own. I mean, you've written two, as I said, to start off, two award-winning sales books. Third one on the way. Okay, there we go. So keep, keep your eye out for that. Whenever it's available for pre-order on Amazon, we'll make sure to share that. Um, and we will, we will also include both in the comments as well as the show notes, the links to Andy's books, um, because they are amazing sales books that will help you... Um, wrap your mind around these concepts. So maybe you can share some resources um, or some direction as to where some le some sales leaders as well as salespeople can get their hands on and begin to, to wrap their mind around consistently <laughs> right. this approach. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's an, a, like a non-sales book that was just published uh, today, as a matter of fact, or actually tomorrow, excuse me, Okay, written by a gentleman named John Levy. And it's called You're Invited. Uh, the Art and Science of Cultivating Influence. It's a fabulous book. It's not for sellers specifically, but it talks about this concept. So how do you how do you build connection with people? How do you build trust with people? How do you build influence with people? And that's what we're trying to do, build influence. We're not trying to be persuasive. Yeah. Um, fabulous book. I read Dale Carnegie. I mean, that's like, people haven't read Dale Carnegie, they should do it. They should make sure they reread it every few years, right? Just yeah. to remind yourself because it's just, a classic. Yeah. 
you know, we, we try to take these things that are so simple and make them harder than they need to yeah. be. <laughs> and, and, and we sort of fall into this trap where we've got these buzzwords we're trying to avoid relationships, yeah, friendships. I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to make customers my friends, but you know, if you want to learn how to make a connection with someone is think about us. How do you build a friendship with somebody? Yeah. You know, we, we connect with a new buyer and the first thing we do is ask them for something. Would you do that? <laughs> if you met somebody at a party, a new person would the first thing you do out of your mouth or to ask them for something. No, you'd demonstrate a curiosity in them, an authentic curiosity. You'd want to find out about them. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the same thing you do with the buyer, right? Again, you're not trying to make friends, but you're just trying to be sincerely interested and curious about them because yeah. they're going to be important in your life in terms of this particular deal. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's just anything that sort of takes you back. I said, no, I don't want to say take you back, but takes you forward really to think about yeah. this because I'll put a forward spin on this. Yeah, there's a, a great book. I, another one I recommend people read called Humans Are Underrated by Jeff Colvin. That's G-E-O-F-F. -F. And he had written a New York Times bestseller, uh, Talent is Overrated. And this was another, I think, New York Times bestselling book, Humans Are Underrated. Talking about the impact of technology and AI, machine learning and so on, on humans and in the workplace. Yeah. But one of the things that they he found that in his research and talking to people researching and writing about this and thinking about this topic deeply is sort of this conclusion is that those people who are going to get ahead in this this future world that's evolving are those people are able to become what he called more intensely human think about that we need to be focused on the things that humans do that the machines can't mm -hmm. that is curiosity curiosity excuse me rapport empathy uh understanding yeah. you know creating connections between bits of data and synthesizing new questions things machines can't do and so I these four core things of connection curiosity understanding and generosity those are uniquely human traits focus on those that will be your advantage yeah yeah, I love that, especially going into the future, because you keep hearing, you know, the death of the salesperson, the death of the salesperson with all this computer. And it's it's just like there's always got I mean, it, like you're saying, the larger the deal, the more absolute necessity there is for that human connection. Yeah. But even in taking that that thing about, the, you know, the death of the salesperson, you know, Forrester projected that back, I think, in 2015. They said by 2020 <laughs> that basically B2B sales would be decimated. And what we've seen is actually, I think, a net increase, a substantial net increase in employment yeah. in sales, um, partially because of the way we structure sales. These days, the SDRs and BDRs and specialized sales roles, but that's not going to go away. Yeah. Um, you know, if anything, we'll, we'll become more specialized. So in that environment, though, how do you succeed? You know, I think Colvin really nailed it. said how to become more intensely human. Yeah. And these are pillars that I talked about are really the way that you do that. So we'll make sure that we, for those of you who are tuning in later, and I know many of you are, you'll be tuning in on the podcast. We'll put links to, for all these books that um, Andy is referencing in the show notes and in the comments and the various places. Um, and I, I'd say if we kept going, we could probably get a list oh, of yeah. a much, much longer <laughs> list of books. <laughs> um, but I love that. That's what, what's funny is, is going back to what we were talking about, the death of the salesperson. It makes me think of that. And it's a, it's a meme that I've seen, but it's something about the news media has projected, has accurately projected 
or has projected 87 of the last three economic downfalls. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> so it's like, if you say something loud enough, people are going to start saying it again, saying it or repeating it. Well, I mean, there's a famous quote from Niels Bohr had been one of the physicists that worked on the Manhattan project, a Danish physicist, Nobel prize winner. He said, prediction is very difficult, especially when it's about the future. Yeah, it's true. So, which it all is right. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I, we don't know for sure how things are going to evolve, but these things I talked about, sort of these core pillars of, of skills you need to have, those are under your control. Yeah. And those I believe, and others do are going to be the skills that are going to be in demand in people more in demand going forward. And so, yeah. I mean, why not focus on things you have absolute control over? So true. I love it. I love it. Um, so as we're closing out here, Andy, uh, again, yep. thank you so much for coming on. I can't, can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Um, I am going to put here scrolling across the screen for those who are tuning in via video, the web address, I'll share this web address for um, Andy's podcast, the sales enablement show. Um, and it's also available on all the various podcast players. So make sure that if you're not already subscribed to this and, and listening to it, get on there and, and listen. Andy's, like I said, about to approach episode 1000, well over 900 episodes. So congratulations on that. Um, but tell us a little, just a little bit about how people can reach out to you, how people, where the best places to follow you and those kind of sure. things are. LinkedIn, right? So it's the usual preamble, real Andy Paul. And yeah, we post gosh, multiple times a day, actually, um, whether it's about the podcast or just our sales thought leadership is, you know, my passion is how do we, how do we evolve the conversation about what we're doing in sales is, and we didn't really get a chance to dive into this part, but you know, how do we become better? Because yeah, yeah there's a reason to believe that we really haven't improved in sales over the last number of decades excuse me, despite the presence of all this technology that's come out. So yeah. we have to bring all these pieces together. And so, yeah, we spend a lot of time posting about that. So there you go, guys, make sure to follow Andy on LinkedIn because you will get that value and you'll, you'll see how we can become better. So um, thank you so much, Andy, again, well, I appreciate you, you for coming on. And if you'll hang out for just a moment, I'll go ahead and close sure. this out. So again, I'll make sure to share all of those books, including Andy's books, make sure to go pick those up. Um, and I'll share the links across the various platforms, including the show notes for those of you who are tuning in later via podcast. Um, with that, we will be live again this Thursday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern, and we will be live with none other than Skip Miller from M3 Learning, and, and we'll go into more about Skip there on Thursday. I just want to close out by again thanking you, our viewing and listening audience. We would not be able to pull this off without your support and without your um, help and your willingness to engage. So thank you again for tuning in. I look forward to talking to you next time. And until then, I'm just here to keep reminding you, either give value or don't even bother.